Yeah. And if I, on the back, you see if I can, a couple of things, Jeff. Uh, it says that we plant the seeds, God bears the fruit. It's the idea that our responsibility when it comes to seeing people come to faith is sharing the good news. So talking about Jesus, praying for people, being intentional with that, uh, it's God's job to bring people to himself. And he gets to use us in that. So if you've had any gospel conversations uh, in the last month, go ahead and just put an acorn up there. Every week you come, uh, that will be up there. Let's be intentional to remember that. This is something that we want to grow in. As I said a couple weeks ago, uh, we've, uh, last year we emphasized we want to see one new person come to faith. But in order to see somebody come to faith, we've got to tell people about Jesus. So let's just focus on what our responsibility is in that. And so if there's been an opportunity uh, to talk about Jesus with somebody that does not yet believe, just go ahead and put that acorn up there every week. We want to have a visual representation of uh, this goal and the desire to continue grow in our proclamation of the gospel. <clears throat> and, and so I just encourage to do that. Uh, let's go ahead and dive into the scriptures. Matthew chapter 6, if you have your Bible or an app. Uh, go ahead and open to that. I do encourage you, bring an actual like hard Bible. There's something about this. If you don't have one, there are some back there next to the tree that I want to encourage you to go ahead and take home with you. But we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount in the Lord's Prayer. Um, and I want to ask you a question. Uh, who here has the craziest Starbucks order? Yeah, Karen Wall. We all know Karen. I was going to glare at her, but she's not here, so I can't glare at her. But do you know that there's actually a right way to order a Starbucks drink? So if you go, and it's, it's funny, if you've never ordered it the right way, have you ever gotten the look or the, the, the loving correction? So it's supposed to go like this. It's supposed to go temperature. This is informative for you because you're probably going to visit Starbucks at least once this week because there's like 12 of them in the city limits of Federal Way. Maybe 10, but still it's ridiculous. Okay, temperature. So do you want it hot or cold? Ready? Then it goes size. I'm, I'm testing you here. Let's see how well you know your Starbucks. Shots. So how many shots do you want? you want a double? you want a triple? Uh, type of milk or no milk if you prefer. The drink itself, I think it's hysterical that the drink you're ordering is the fifth thing that you have to say. It's like how many? Jeez. And then if you want an extra flavor pumps, okay? So there's a correct ordering of Starbucks. Now, if you don't get that, what do they do? If you say, oh, I want this, Amer I'll have an Americano, two shots, a little bit of cream, and make it a large. What do they do? They say it the right way. They're, I don't know if they're trained. I wish I knew somebody was here was trained. But they correct you in the right way to make sure that if you don't say it correctly, they put it in there correctly. It's almost like they're training you to think the, the way that they think. It's, it's wonderful. But it, if you order Starbucks rightly or correctly and not out of order, it goes well for you. It, it will allow you to be able to get what you want in an easier, quicker fashion. Okay? Correctly ordered Starbucks. Now, for us... When, that's not the only time in life or thing in life, if, it puts, if it's put in the correct order, it will go well for you. That, um, and so as we think of the Lord's Prayer, as we look at how Jesus himself modeled prayer for us, he orders it in a way for us to understand that a rightly ordered prayer leads to a rightly ordered life of flourishing. 
we've been focusing on this idea of flourish. The idea of a Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' vision for human flourishing. How was life designed and how does life work best? In the middle of the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, which in this type of literature means this is the emphasis, this is the point of what Jesus is getting after, he talks about prayer and he orders it in a way that should be informative to us. Now before we dive into the text itself, we're going to be looking at the three initial petitions. How would be your name, your kingdom come, and your will be done. Uh, a, a general idea of prayer. Now there's two general ways in which we can look at prayer. The first way to look at prayer is uh, presenting our personal needs to God. Many people uh, call this supplication traditionally. Now this is the idea of like, I have needs, I am a person in need, and I need to come to God to ask him to bless that. Now what's beautiful is Jesus actually does that in the, in the Lord's Prayer. He, he does emphasize, when he says, give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts, um, those are us presenting our needs to God. And these are very, very good prayers. And, but here's the amazing thing about them. And this is the, the struggle that I've had as I've learned about the sovereignty of God. It says, to, uh, the verse right before the Lord's Prayer in 6, 8, it says, um, Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So if God already knows what I need, why do I need to present it? Why do I need to ask God if He already knows? Like, okay, God, God knows. He, he actually probably knows what I need more than what I know I need. And yet, He still models for us this is how you pray. And He encouraged us to present our needs before Him. God doesn't need to hear our prayer requests because He doesn't know them. He needs to hear them because He wants to be in relationship for us to abide in Him. And this is the second thing, and this is the focus on what we're going to talk about today. If the first general purpose of prayer is to present our requests before God, the second general purpose of prayer is what I'll call spirit, is for formation. This is that we are in prayer being molded into Jesus' image and His desires. This isn't saying, God, I want this, you go and do that in your sovereignty. This is allowing us to be in the vine, as the branches as Justin spoke on a couple weeks ago in John 15. This is us knowing that God himself is molding us and bending us, if you will, to reflect him rightly. It, it's not so we get what we want, it's so that we start to look more like him. And this is the thing about prayer. I don't know if you've realized this. Have you ever, like, know that you're supposed to pray and you just don't feel like it? Oh, this week? Maybe this morning? Did you ever wake, did you wake up this morning like, oh, I have to go to the gathering this morning? And you don't want to? Like, ugh. Like, I just want to not. The, the emphasis of this is, and what Jesus is teaching in this prayer, it's not just saying what we want. 
Prayer is helping us want to want. I'm going to say that again. Prayer isn't just, God, I want this. Prayer and the formation side of prayer is recognizing that you don't want it, but you want to want it. And this is ultimately seen in one word said three times in this verse alone. It's, the, it's a pronoun because we don't, we, we're starting to talk about pronouns more in our culture. But I'm going to focus on this one word for a moment. It's this word, your. Because have you ever expressed your wants to God and find out that his desires are different than your desires? Like, God, I want this, but his desires are different than yours. So how does prayer work in that world? Because what does it say here? This is about God's name being hallowed. So your name, God, your kingdom, your will be done. If we're honest, and as we go through this, typically our prayers are, God, I want my name to be known. I want my rule and reign to be experienced, and I want my will to be done. So when we're praying, it's not we're honestly expressing what we desire, but what's also happening is that we're being formed, we're bending our will so that our wants and desires are going to be in alignment with God's wants and desires. I want to want what God wants. And as we go through this, we'll discover that that's not always the case. But why we're putting these, this emphasis on prayer, why we're putting all these opportunities in front of us to pray, is because we know that we don't always want what God wants. And we need to be placed in an environment and opportunities where God can shape us, mold us. Uh, Romans 8 says to be conformed into his image. Uh, Romans talks about uh, being jars of clay. Or Paul talks about being jars of clay. Have you ever seen clay molded before? It starts one way, but it has to be molded into another. Prayer molds us. It models us. It shapes us. To not only want what we want, but to learn to want what God wants. So as we go through this, these three petitions, Jesus models for us the things that we are to want to want. The things that we're to learn to bend our desire to his desires. And there's three different things that he focuses on. First, let's, uh, the first petition, after he says, Our Father in heaven, he starts the prayer with, Hallowed be your name. Hallowed literally means, uh, when you first read hollow, I used to think hollow. Like hollow be your name, like you, know, you have something solid on the outside. And as a teenager, I was like, why would we want God's name to be hollow? Like, that didn't make any sense to me. Then I said, we found out that it's hallow, and I'm like, well, that doesn't make much more sense then either. I, I still don't know what that means. Here you go. Hallow literally means to sanctify, to revere, or to make and keep holy. Okay? I revere his name. So let's break this up a little bit. Um, notice, God is already holy. Our prayer is not making God holy. 
we're not, when we hallow the name of God, when we hallow Jesus, if you will, we're not, by us doing it, it's not increasing the amount of holiness that he has. It's not increasing the amount of glory that he has. Okay? He already has it. When we're saying, hallowed be your name, what we're saying is magnify it. Help us see, take away what's blocking in our eyes and in our hearts where you already are holy. Help us see the way in which you already are. It's a prayer for his holiness and character to be magnified so that we can experience it. That's what we're asking for. That's what Jesus is modeling for us. And he says, hallowed be your name. What's that all about? Why your name? In Hebrew uh, culture, which Jesus is speaking into here, there was a very holy understanding of the name of God. So much so that when the scribes were uh, writing out the scrolls of the scriptures, anytime they got to the name of God, they took that writing utensil, they took it out of camp, buried it, came back into camp, cleansed themselves and washed themselves, and then began writing it again. Because they had such a high understanding. Remember the Ten Commandments, um, don't take the Lord's name in vain. They had such a high picture of the holiness of God's name that they want, didn't even want to get close to that. And the name of something in this culture represented the characteristics and um, nature of that very person. If you look at the Old Testament, there's a lot of different times where somebody has a new experience of God and they add to his name. So in Genesis 22, just a really quick example, after uh, Abraham and Isaac go up to the mountain. There's a opportunity, or God provides a ram so that uh, Isaac does not have to be sacrificed. God, uh, Abraham calls him, the Lord provides. Okay? He adds Je- Jehovah, not Nisi, I'm blanking on the name. Je- yeah, Jehovah Jireh. He says, you are the one who provides. So I've experienced you in a new way. I'm going to name you in line with what you've revealed to me. So the name is the very nature, the very understanding. The actual person is is closely aligned with the name of God. So when we're saying, hallowed be your name, what we're wanting to want is we're wanting to make sure that the character and nature of God himself is experienced and known amongst us. We want you to be known, God. We want you to be experienced. As we look through the rest of Matthew and as we look at the rest of the gospel accounts, we'll see in each of these how much the disciples did not get this. The disciples, uh, we just, we'll just use them as scapegoats for a second, but then we'll get to us. The disciples didn't understand that. One quick story. There's a story of two brothers, the disciples of Jesus, and they send their mom to Jesus. First of all, come on, dudes. Like, (laughs) step up. Don't send your mom. By the way, parents, if your kids are in college and you're calling their college, stop. They can do it. Big boys, okay? So they send their mom, 
And what do they, and the mom says, hey, I want you to put my boys on the right and left of you when you're seated on your kingdom, when you're seated on your throne in your kingdom. So the, the seating of the right and left was a position of power. And power meant notoriety. They would ma- be making a name for themselves. So the disciples send their mom because they want to be recognized. They want to make a name for themselves. They want to be in a position of power. And what is Jesus' response to them? The greatest among you will be servants of all. They wanted to be known. They, it was their way of saying, God, let, I want my name to be hallowed. Now this can be hard for some of us because th- if we're honest, we would rather be known than for God to be known. We, would, we want to be recognized for what we do. We don't want God to be recognized for how he's working through us. When I, this was something that I've had to personally work through at different stages of my life and in different ways. My days when I was in the band, the whole goal and desire that kind of formed out of that was that we wanted to make a name for ourselves. We wanted to be known. I had in my mind at the time, I wanted to be able to walk into a room and change the, the experience of the room because Justin from Amber Pacific had arrived. That was a desire of mine because I wanted my name to be hallowed. I wanted it to be revered. I wanted it to be experienced. Now, you'd be like, yeah, that's silly, Justin. I know, right? But that's something, and that's a temptation. And in my world, as a vocational minister, in this day and age, around the celebrity pastor world, where it's always justinwestcott.com, I'm not going to lie, that's been a temptation. That's been something that, if you, and in my training, in my education, there was something about the way we were trained, who they brought into chapel, who they exemplified, who we looked up to. It was the, and that was the meaning of success. That was fame. That was something that was desirable. And so it's just kind of like, yeah, I, I graduated Bible college. What am I going to do? Of course I'm going to pastor a mega church. Duh. I mean, don't you know who I am? And what is that? Somehow it seeped into Christian culture. It's about your name, not about his name. Now, you may not experience that, but that is the wrestling with this. And so if that's the natural bend, what this prayer is forming in us is bending us to say it's not your name, not my name, that needs to be hollowed. Not my name that needs to be revered. It's God's name that needs to be revered. It's not, oh, look at us. Look how amazing we are. I love how Jeff said, I, wanna, I don't want to tell you about Soma. I want to tell you about Jesus. Whose name do we want to be celebrated? Jesus' name. We want his name to be hallowed. We see in Colossians 1 that he's the fulfillment of all this. He is the image of the invisible. You want to know what the name of God looks like? If you want to know what God in his character and nature looks like, you look to the person of Jesus. Hebrews 1, he's the exact imprint of the Father's nature. Acts 4.12, there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we may be saved. In Philippians 2.10, at the name of who? The name of Jesus, every knee will bow. 
at the end of the, everything, when he returns and he brings his kingdom back, as we'll talk about in a minute, what happens? Jesus is rightly hallowed. Jesus is rightly known. So think of your workplace, your, your, how you go about, is there a part of you that you want to be known more than wanting God to be known, wanting his name to be revered and hallowed? The second portion of this prayer is not just hallowed be your name, it's your kingdom come. This is us asking for God's kingdom to be known. What is the kingdom of God? As we've talked about in the past, it is the rule and reign of a king. It's the, a kingdom has a ruler, it has somebody who is leading the kingdom, and in this kingdom, this king is Jesus. A kingdom has subjects, people that follow within the rule and reign of that king. Who are the subjects of the kingdom of God? The church, the people of God. There's a relationship, although there's a distinction between the kingdom and the church. The church are the people that are living according to the standards and ethics that Jesus lays out in the Sermon on the Mount. But a kingdom also has opposition. There's a recognition that there's not just one kingdom in this world. In the scriptures, it's known as the kingdom of darkness, led by the accuser, or Satan, it literally means the accuser, with its subjects being those who are not yet submitted to the rulership of King Jesus, that have not place their faith in him, that have not bowed their knee to Jesus. And the question is, what is the job of those subjects in the kingdom? Well, we just saw previously, it's first to hallow the name, to reflect, to revere the king themselves. But as we'll see in the Sermon on the Mount, I'm going to just capture one of them that's the most scandalous in this context. In chapter 5, verse 44, it says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. How are the subjects or how is the church supposed to live in the rule and reign of God under the lordship and kingship of Jesus? Our job is to love your enemies. Now we'll get to dive into that at another time because that's scandalous. But the... the way in which we are to live, to do good to those who persecute us, to seek justice, to love our enemies, and to work towards bringing those who are in opposition to God's kingdom, through loving them, bring them into God's kingdom. That's gospel conversations. That's loving our neighbors. That's inviting people into our lives. So why is this hard for us? Well, it was hard for the disciples. Just think quickly of the Mount of Transfiguration. They're walking up. They're going up to the Mount, uh, three of Jesus' disciples. They see Jesus and a couple of the patriarchs. What's their first response? Can we just build some tents and just hang out here? We don't want to bring this goodness to anybody else. We just like it here. We want to keep it here. What's the kingdom's responsibility? 
to share it with other people. The king, this I think is hard for us because we don't want to submit to the kingship of Jesus. We want to be kings of our own world. We don't want to submit. Submission is such a dirty word nowadays. I'd rather have other people submit to me. Let me ask you a personal question and see how this sits with you. If you, do you, if you think this is hard for you, I'm going to ask you a question. How do you view your home? How do you view your home? Usually that's the, seen as like my rulership, right? This is my, my place. This is my stuff. My time. What, go, what happens in my house is according to my rules, right? It's our little kingdoms. What if, instead of your kingdom, your home, being a place where you get to rule, what if it was a place where other people get to experience the rule of Jesus? If instead of it being a refuge for you to get what you want, what, what if it was a mission outpost, a place of hospitality, a, a place where you can invite people into to not necessarily follow your rules, but that they can get to experience the good rule of Jesus? This is biblical hospitality. When you think of the outsider, bringing them in, welcoming them allowing them to experience the love that we've experienced. So instead of the Western mindset of my home being my kingdom, my home being where I get what I want, are our homes as the body of Christ places where people get to experience the good rule and reign of Jesus? Those people that you're praying for, those people you're having gospel conversations with, is your home a place where they get to experience that? Are we welcoming people? Are we opening our homes? If people, and I'm convinced of this, if people are going to join us at the Lord's table, if people are going to submit their lives to Jesus, if people are going to put their faith in him and join us in remembering that at the Lord's table, I think it's highly likely that they'll first have to join us at our dining room table. that's the place where we get to have these conversations, where we get to open our homes, we get to love them, we get to serve them as Jesus did. It's a very practical way in which we get to do that. So do I want people to join me at the Lord's table? Yes. Well, then is my kingdom, my dining room table, helping lead towards that, or is it hurting that? Am I opening my home so people can experience his good rule and reign? And if you're like, no, 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 that's my refuge, Whose kingdom are you part of? Does that mean there's open hours every moment? No, there's healthy boundaries. There's times when you need your family. I'm not suggesting it's free reign, like you don't lock your doors, okay? It's not what I'm suggesting. What I'm suggesting is their heart intention, if God's kingdom to come, and it's not my kingdom, that I'm using what I have in submission. I'm bending my kingdom to be in alignment with God's kingdom. And so thirdly, it's not just hallowed be your name. It's not just your kingdom come. Last, it is your will be done. 
This is emphasizing the redemptive and moral intent of God. His desires, his longings, what he wants to happen. This is the correct ordering of things. Now, in heaven, it is actually happening right now. Where God rules and reigns is fully experiencing his will. Now, we know in the story of God that those, there are certain angels that rebelled against that. That's where we get the kingdom of darkness. We also know in Adam and Eve, because we are children of Adam and Eve, but also by our own desires and our own actions, we rebel against the will of God on a regular basis. If this prayer is, God, I want what you want, I know it's very likely for me to say, no, I want what I want. What's in it for me? I got to look out for numero uno. I got to look out for myself. The disciples mess this up, and Jesus perfectly captures this in the same story. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and flip to Matthew 26. Um, Matthew 26, starting in verse 36. Jesus had just finished the Lord's Supper, um, the Last Supper, excuse me. He's going out to a garden called Gethsemane, and we'll start this in verse 38, 37. Talking with him, Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. That's Jesus. Then he said to them, that's Peter and... um, the two sons of Zebedee, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face in prayer and prayed, saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Pause before I read that next part. So Jesus knows what's coming. He's literally about to be taken into custody and be crucified. He asks his disciples to stay up. Jesus is expressing his will to his disciples. Can you just stay up for a second while I pray and watch out for me? What do they do? They fall asleep. They mess this up. They don't do what God says. And then, what does Jesus say? He's praying, let this cup pass from me. Don't miss this. This is God, the full God, full man. Jesus is not like joking about this prayer. In his humanity, he's making his requests known to God. Jesus does not want to go to the cross here. Jesus is asking the Father to let this pass. I don't want this. And you know what's crazy? This happens three times. Three times he goes in the same, um, the same structure. He says, let this cup pass from me. He asks them to watch and pray, and they don't. And what is Jesus' response? Being fully human like you and I, Asking the Father to do something for him. Let this cup pass from me. If there's another way, I don't want that. And what is that? How does he end that? Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you 
will. And in verse 42, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, what does he say? Your will be done. In verse 44, saying that, uh, so leaving them, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Three times he asked God, please don't let me have to go through this. I don't want this. Let this pass from me. Anguishing, sweating blood because he so desperately does not want to have to go through what he's about to go through. And what does he say? Not my will, but your will be done. Not what I want. Not passing through and skipping all the pain but saying, okay, God, whatever it is is that you want, that is what I want. This one gets a little bit more personal because not many of us want a name for ourselves or not many of us are thinking about a kingdom. But all of us, if you're in relationship at all with anybody, you know what it's like to bump into somebody who has a different will or desire than you have. Whether it's in your marriage, whether it's in your friendships, if you're a student and you're working on a school project and all of a sudden you're working with somebody that wants to do something differently than you do, it's very quickly that you start to be in relationship with people and you start to experience opposing wills, opposing desires. And what does Jesus say? Not mine, but Father, your will be done. We want what we want. Jesus wanted what he wanted. And he submitted his will to God's. This is being molded, conformed, bent into the image of Jesus. This is true spiritual formation. This is what it means to be a growing, maturing disciple. When it's not what I want, it's what God wants. This is also one of the uh, reasons why we emphasize mission. And I'll just say this quickly. It's because it puts us in a place of need. It puts us in a place where we come face to face with my desires and sometimes God's different desires. And it says, you know what? I, I could live in my own little kingdom. I could live in my own little world. I could do my, my simple thing. But the second I put myself out there and try to make disciples of somebody else, the second I put myself out there and try to share my faith, is, is very immediate, I would say, that you start to experience where your will needs to be bent to God's will. I want this, God, God but you need to form in me what you desire. If you haven't run into that yet, which I'm assuming everybody has, just, just start hanging out in a missional community for a while. <laughs> start hanging out with people that don't yet believe. Start hanging out with people that are different from you. Start loving your enemies as Jesus wanted you and calls us to in the Sermon on the Mounts. So what is this call for us? 
call for us is to be formed to him. Some of, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go here. Some of us aren't necessarily, it's going to sound counterintuitive, but follow with me for a second. Some of us are so driven by somebody else's will for our lives that our will becomes their will for me. You tr- trying to please people, trying to live up to somebody else's standard for you. Somebody, you're so driven by other people's opinion of you that you, bl- you um, base your wellness on their opinion of you. It may not be your first desire, but it may be their desires driving you. And that's still not placing you, and it's still not placing God, excuse me, on the throne. It's placing something or somebody else. This is something that I'm personally learning in my discipleship, how much I have allowed other people to determine what's the right way to do it or the, what their will is. I think if I'm making a decision, I would ask, oh, how do I, or how would such and such do this as opposed to what is the Father asking? The, the word that I'm wrestling with right now is the term codependence. Like being so consumed with how other people view or how getting other people's approval that you work and live into that as opposed to just saying, God, this is what you want. This is your will. I'm going to go about doing that. Underneath it all, I believe, is a desire to be known, to be accepted, to be loved. And that's where we go back in this passage to the beginning part of the prayer. What's the first two words? Our Father. As I have personally been, as I mentioned in the first one, my, um, my name or my kingdom and my, my will, as I've reflected on this and, and seen how God is shaping and saying, you know what, I still have areas of my life that don't do those things well. As I, I still don't want his name. I still don't want his kingdom. I'm, st- I'm personally still being bent I'm, I'm seeing how much the first two words of that prayer change the whole game. Because if we recognize that the Father sees us because Jesus was on the throne, and, on the cross and sees us, and now Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father and he now sees us, it doesn't matter what other people think. If I recognize that even in my sinfulness, even in me wanting to correctly order this, because here's the amazing thing that we see throughout the sermon. What we do is as important as why we do it. I'm not trying to correctly order my prayers just so I can get God to do what he wants. What this is doing is this is rightly ordering my heart to desire and long for what he desires and longs for. And I can know that that is good, that that is trustworthy, because I know he is a good father. If we don't rightly recognize the name of God, the person and characteristics of God the Father revealed to us in the person of Jesus, empowered by his spirit, if we don't rightly see Jesus for the love and grace that he has extended to us, 
if our view of something or someone else is more glorious than having a picture of who Jesus is as glorious. We will start looking for our names or their names to be great, my kingdom to come, and my will to be done. But if we finally get a picture of him, if we see him, on, from a, even using our imagination, seeing him on the cross extending his love to us, sacrificing for us, letting go of his will, letting go of his kingdom, emptying of himself so that you and I could be brought into loving relationship with God the Father. If we see that, then we're more likely to say, that's such good news. Of course I'll lay down my will for this. Of course it's not about me and what I want and my name and my kingdom. The way in which we can have our hearts bent and molded into rather from being our kingdom, our name, our will to his is we need to continue to not only realize and remind ourselves of the glory, beauty of the gospel of Jesus. We need to start there. But we also need to put ourselves in environments where God the Father can remind us of it. It's not just me in my own way. Okay, it's the gospel. Not just reminding myself of the gospel, although I need that. But two weeks ago, the tool of prayer, are we allowing the Father to share his heart for us? Is that the foundation from where we're living? Are we allowing our hearts to be experiencing the goodness of God in prayer? Is he revealing those, that goodness so that we're being formed into his image? That, and if we see that his, who he is is good and better, we are more likely to submit our desire and our ways to him. And this prayer ends on earth as it is in heaven. That goodness and name of Jesus, his kingdom, his rule and reign, not mine, his will, as it's being experienced in heaven, we, Jesus prays for that to happen here on earth. A few years ago, um, I've seen people using this specifically, and I want to encourage you in your prayers to talk about, use this in your home. So people and I've seen a lot, like in Federal Way, as in heaven, in Browns Point, as in heaven, in Twin Lakes, in Auburn, in wherever you and I are, in this home, as it is in heaven. That's the prayer that we want to encourage, we want to experience. And it happens in and through you and I. God's kingdom is extended every time we have a gospel conversation. God's kingdom is extended every time we have somebody that doesn't yet believe over for a meal to share with them the goodness that God has given us. The, the kingdom comes every time we bow our knee and we bend our will to what Jesus desires for us. That's in every moment that that happens. If all of us and every person who claims the name of Jesus does that bit by bit by bit, his glory, his image will be extended through you and I. Every little bit of it counts. Every little bit of it makes a significant difference overall in the kingdom of God. And all of this is because of what Jesus did on our behalf.
why we go to the table every single week to remind one another of this. That Jesus' body was broken because you and I don't want his name. We want our name. We don't want his kingdom. We don't want his will. That sin Jesus paid for on the cross. His body was broken for that very thing. That When we dip it, it's a reminder that his blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. We do this in remembrance of what he's done. So because he's paid the penalty for your and my sin, because he's now given us access to the loving God, the Father, now we are able to be disciples and continue to help other people be disciples as we all bend our will to his, submit our kingdom to his, and make his name great, not mine. That's what we're doing. And it, it starts at the table and we go back to the table, and ultimately we'll end at the Messianic table, what will be the most glorious feast we'll ever have, when his name will be fully hallowed, when his kingdom will fully come, and when his will will ultimately completely be done on earth when he returns, when heaven and earth are brought back together like they were originally in the garden. So we're going to go to the table. We're going to um, circle up three or four of you at a time, or in a circle, this is an opportunity for those of us that do profess the name of Jesus. Um, uh, if you are for the first time saying, you know what, the, the gospel, what Jesus has done is for me, that you're putting your faith that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that he rose again victorious over sin and Satan and death. If you want to put, do that for the first time, I encourage you to, to go to the table and tell somebody. If you're going to the table as a remembrance, what I encourage you to do is think of these three areas. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Which of those three areas is the hardest for you to submit to? Do you have a harder time with saying, God, hallowed be your name, not mine? Do you have a hard time saying your kingdom come, not my kingdom? Or do you have a hard time saying your will, not my will? And then what I want you to do is just, this is an opportunity to confess our sins to one another so that we may be healed. So the scriptures tell us to. So simply say, and then I want you to just pray for one another. Uh, if there's three or four of you, just simply state that, and then some, I'm giving you a little bit more clear instructions today. Pray for the person immediately to your right. Whatever they confess, just pray for them that God would not only forgive them and remind them that they have been forgiven of that because of what's in your hand, but also ask that the Spirit would empower them, that they would learn how to and be given opportunities to bend their kingdom, bend their name, bend their will to the will of the Father. And then we'll come back, we'll pray, and we'll finish up. Okay? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, this is the prayer that's forming us and that you are using to form us. But God, we do this because we adore you, we worship you, we magnify you. Father, you knew that we would not pray this fully nor live this out. You knew that we would seek something or someone other than you to give us a flourishing life. And yet you're gracious to us. 
you know that starting with you leads to a life that flourishes. And you knew that we needed to have our sins forgiven so that we could live that out and experience the life that you've called us to. Not only did you know we needed to be forgiven, but Jesus, you willfully submitted your human will to the divine will and that led you to the cross to be sacrificed for our sins. Thank you that that is true. I pray that we all submit to that, that we profess that, that we live into that story because you have saved us, you have done this work, and you've changed our hearts and are changing our hearts so we want to do more of it. And so God, as we go to the table, as we bring the gospel to bear on the areas where we don't fully live this out, I pray that your spirit speaks through your people for the building up of your body so that we can be sent to live on mission making disciples, seeing many come to know you because it's what you are doing in our world. So God, we want to join you in that and we go to the table to remember. So Father, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You are invited to the table.